Hello, and welcome to the Conversations with Data podcast, where we bring you the most interesting discussions around data journalism. I'm your host, Tara Kelly, and today we'll be speaking about the state of freedom of information in Europe and what it means for journalists in their reporting, from fighting corruption to investigative pieces that hold power to account. Journalists often encounter numerous pitfalls from delayed responses to court appearances thanks to appeals processes and denied requests, as well as difficult to read data. To better understand this, we spoke with three journalists with an expertise in FOIA in their respective countries. Joining us today, we have Jenna Corduroy, an investigative reporter at Open Democracy in the United Kingdom, Ken Fox, a journalist and co-director of Right to Know in Ireland, and Attila Bureau, an investigative journalist and co-founder of Context Investigative Reporting Project Romania. Let's take a listen to our conversation with Jenna, Ken, and Attila now. Okay, before we kick off today, I thought it would be interesting if we could just go through and briefly introduce ourselves, um, tell us your role, your organization, where you're based, and maybe your focus on FOI in Europe. So my name is Jenna Cordroy, and I'm a reporter for the investigations team at Open Democracy, which is um, based in London. Uh, Open Democracy is an independent global media organisation, but I think we're known for our reporting on money and influence in UK politics. Um, But we also specialise in reporting about LGBTQ rights, the environment and policing, to to name a few. Um, And I specialise in getting documents under our information laws. And I often appeal uh, against refusals and there'll be uh, a few times where I go to court and argue my case in front of a judge. Um, But I also uh, do a lot of reporting on the state of freedom of information uh, in the UK and how it is regularly undermined. My name is uh, Ken Fox and I'm a freelance reporter. Um, I've been working as a journalist for maybe over 20 years at this stage and I suppose about about 10 or 15 years ago, I began to specialize in the use of FOI and um, also the use of access to information on the environment regulations to to get records and documents in Ireland. Um, I work with an organization called Right to Know, which campaigns for greater transparency in public life in Ireland. We take um, kind of test cases around FOI and around uh, environmental information kind of push the boundaries of what people can and can't get. I'm Attila Biro from uh, Romania. I'm an investigative reporter with Context.ro. Um, we are a new platform uh, established uh, a few months ago. We are focused on investigative reporting. Um, and myself and my colleagues, uh, we are looking uh, into um, stories about corruption, money laundering um, at the national level, but also cross-border level. Uh, we are part of um, the international network of uh, the Organized Crime and Corruption Reporting Project, uh, which is one of the biggest investigative um, uh, journalist networks in the world. And I'm doing reporting from 2004, and um, 
basically uh i'm i'm looking into documents and i'm filing foia in about you know an array of of uh, areas so but most of most of them are related to uh, corruption and money laundering and when you get to this area then you know um the hassle starts but i think we'll go into that in uh, in a few moments Marvelous. Well, thank you all for introducing yourself. And of course, welcome to Conversations with Data. Um, Janet, let's start with you. Um, talk to us about the situation when it comes to freedom of information in the UK. Like, what are the unique challenges you're encountering and, and over the years? And also, I, you wrote an article sort of looking at how slow the UK government is to respond to these requests. Just tell us about this and what you'd like to see change. Sure. So the state of freedom of information in the UK has worried me for uh, quite a long time now. Uh, in fact, uh, at Open Democracy, we published uh, two major reports detailing the problems we are currently facing. Um, so we found that less and less freedom of information requests are being granted in full by central government departments and uh, that government departments very frequently ignore freedom of information requests uh, or don't respond to them in a timely manner. Uh, the Information Commissioner's Office, uh, which is the information rights regulator uh, here in the UK, is overworked and underfunded. So um, when you are want, want to make a complaint about a certain government department or another public authority, you complain to the um, Information Commissioner's Office, but they take a very, very long time to process uh, these complaints. So when you've got lengthy delays and um, public authorities just refusing um, to provide information, um, you know, despite, you know, despite the public interest in, in disclosure being so significant and powerful, it really undermines the right to um, do the basic things like responding to freedom of information requests on time. Absolutely. Um, and I just wonder, um, you say timely manner. Tell us more about what that looks like, like what, not, not responding in a timely manner. Sure. So um, uh, the legislation, in the legislation here in the UK, it's um, uh, authorities, uh, public authorities. Um, so when I talk about public authorities, that covers things like uh, government departments, um, regulators, universities, police forces, they've got 20 working days to respond to a request. Now, that's that's quite long in the first place. That's a, that's a month, really. They've got, um, they are allowed to, uh, depending on certain situations, they are allowed to extend that um, deadline by another 20 working days. So in total, we're looking at a possibility of 40 working days. Um, but then, you know, some uh, authorities just ignore it or they keep extending that deadline, which they're not allowed to do. There have been many times when I submitted an FOI request to, you know, a significant government department like uh, the Treasury or the Cabinet Office, and they've taken months and months to respond to basic sort of requests for information. It, it is a, it's, it's, it's a bit bad at the moment in the UK. And has it gotten worse, like, over the years? Like, you're noticing that this is incrementally just getting slower? Certainly, it's a combination of both. So, um, so when I got into journalism about about ten years ago now, um, I thought you know freedom of information, 
fantastic. I would send <clears throat> freedom of information requests and um, on the whole, I would be very, very successful in obtaining the information that I wanted. Things like emails, communications within governments. Um, uh, and, you know, it, it tended to be on time. But over the years, that has significantly got worse. And I uh, still am quite unsure why that's the case. Uh, the Institute for Government, um, a think tank here in the UK, do lots of analysis over uh, the worsening um, uh, uh, sort of timely disclosures. And, and it's not just me that's complaining. It's lots of other people, too. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it's a it's a very serious problem here in the UK. Right. Now, Ken, let's talk to you. You're an FOI expert in Ireland. You've written an introductory guide on this for Irish journalists. Um, what is the Irish experience when it comes to freedom of information? Is it similar to the UK? Just talk us through the experience there. Yeah, so I, I would fo follow kind of Jenna and Open Democracies work fairly closely. And it definitely um, seems to me as if some of the problems, particularly around delays, and difficulties with kind of government, big government departments are are not replicated in Ireland. Um, it is it seems to me on the face of it, and I've had some experience making FOI requests in the UK, I find it much more difficult for a start. But what I would say, I suppose, is that one of the kind of annoying things about FOI is that sometimes when you're an expert in your own country, it doesn't necessarily translate into accessing records in another jurisdiction as there can be very kind of there can be kind of subtle differences in how it works so i suppose in general the picture isn't as bleak in ireland um, we have a review of our foi act underway at the minute um, so i suppose some of the challenges that we would come across would be what are known as kind of deemed refusals at both stages and this is where public bodies uh, don't even bother to respond to an FOI request. But in Ireland, it's kind of the same timelines as exist in the UK. So it's 20 working days to deal with the request. But the ability to kind of continually extend um, that you can sometimes see in the UK doesn't really happen here. You kind of only have one chance to extend. And if you don't answer, you can move on to the next stage, which is an internal review. They only have three weeks to deal with that. And if they don't deal with that in time, you can go straight to our information commissioner um, for a review. Um, so it, it, it is easier to kind of push the process along in Ireland, I think, than it is in the UK. I suppose some of the challenges that we would have would be um, kind of, uh, and it's, this is probably uh, the case in every jurisdiction that has FOI, would be inconsistency in decision-making. So you could have one public body and you deal with them and they do a terrific job and they take the requests really seriously and they phone you up and they say, what is it that you're looking for? And I'll help you find it. And then you can have the opposite experience where a public body literally will do everything in their power to kind of make it difficult for you, start to kind of invoke kind of rarely used uh, sections of the FOI Act to make things more difficult. And I suppose the problem with that is um, when, when you're working with FOI all the time, like I am, you kind of get used to dealing with these tactics. But the thing that I worry about is that members of the public are coming up against this type of behavior and they don't know how to, to navigate the 
the FOI Act. It's it's um, it's not necessarily that easy as a new user. And I often think that people are being put off and are, it is quite easy to put them off um, if a public body is kind of, it, it is that way inclined. One of the aspects of Irish FOI that makes it a little bit different to the UK is that in, in the UK, you're kind of able to just ask questions. So it makes it, again, it makes it a little bit easier for a kind of a new requester, whereas in Ireland, your request has to be for records that already exist. And it's kind of, uh, it doesn't sound like a big difference, but it is quite a big difference because sometimes you might have a question and a record might not yet exist that answers that question. And again, if you're used to making FY requests and if you've been doing it as long as I have, you can kind of think your way through that process. Well, what records will answer my question? But if you're new to the process, it's, it's quite difficult. Another aspect that I suppose is challenging in Ireland is that we have a lot of public bodies that have, have only um, partial inclusion in our FOI Act. So again, in the UK, you can access a lot of information from the police service, but in Ireland, you can only get access to information relating to finance, procurement, and human resources, and you can't get anything whatsoever relating to operational policing. We have things like the our Data Protection Commission and our Data Protection Commission in Ireland is considered probably the most important in the world because so many big tech companies have are headquartered here. But only administrative records held by our Data Protection Commission are covered by FOI, which effectively means everything that they do with regard to enforcement or investigation or complaints is off limits for FOI. And we have quite a number of public bodies that are similar to that, where they only have a, a partial inclusion. FY in Ireland is it's probably I, I think it's become underused um, I, even 10 years ago I think a lot more journalists used it than they do now and a lot of that it's not necessarily the fault of FY it's it's the way newsrooms have changed and reporters the amount of kind of discretionary time they have a couple, even a few hours a week that you need to if you're going to do FY you need to be able to kind of dedicate four or five hours a week to it, even just to keep up with the bureaucracy and the, the paperwork of it. And my my feeling is that journalists in Ireland aren't being given that time anymore. So FOI, to a degree, has become very, um, it, it means a lot of requests are for the same thing over and over again for kind of evergreen content that works every year. And it's kind of interesting, but it's certainly not, bringing a huge degree of transparency to public life here. So um, those are some of the challenges that, that FOI faces here. Attila, um, the International Press Institute recently released a report um, noting that Romania's access to information suffered quite a bit before and after and during the pandemic. And I, you know, I know you just won an FOI court case in Romania for your work with context. So I wonder if you could just tell us a bit more about that experience and, and what the situation looks like in Romania uh, for freedom of information. Yeah, I, I just got a little bit thrilled up when I heard data protection because it's it's like a, it's like a disease. It's it's you know it's like the COVID of. Uh, for journalists, because like uh, uh, you know, uh, public institutions in Romania, but now in Brussels, they just take this 
stupid and very bad approach of data protection and they weaponized it against journalists. Even though in the directive, it's written with big, bold letters, do not use the Data Protection Act against journalists. But in the mind of politicians, they and, and their cronies, they are doing that. So they, they, they took a good piece of legislation that would protect people from harm, from like really um, uh, uh, harmful uh, entities, and they are using it against them. And, 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 and this is something that we need to tell because uh, it's not just uh, now in, uh, at the country levels in the EU. Now, Brussels is doing the same. It's using uh, the data protection um, legislation to block us from getting um, records about uh, uh, expenditure, about uh, EU funds and so on. Uh, but getting back to Romania, so actually, you know, we have um, very nice um, uh, Freedom of Act law, which was set in 2001, and um, it has, it's, you know, on paper, it's basically, uh, I think, better than what uh, um, my colleagues described in, in UK and, and Ireland. So on paper, Romania, it's like, looks good. But in reality, um, you know, politicians and and their their um, minions um, found a way to curtail this, uh, and either they did it through secondary legislation, either through basically putting um, people in the press offices who should uh, reply to our uh, requests, who do not reply, who use the legislation in such a manner to block you or ignore you. So it's kind of kind of the the the, the same story with the twist that um, in Romania actually there is no um, let's say ombudsman for um, uh, FOIA, but you can go to court, and this is this is what we what we did in uh, our last in a case that we won at the first degree. I will not enter into the details of it, but um, basically we requested some data about the Romanian hospitals. So uh, imagine that you would request data that would allow you as a citizen to know if you go to a certain hospital or you don't go because your life would be um, uh, in jeopardy. And the government refused to give out that information, even though previously it advertised and a politician came out and said, oh, hey, we have this cool analysis about the Romanian hospitals. And then when he said, oh, that's super nice. We want to dive into that. We want to learn more about what's happening there. And when we requested the hard evidence, they said, oh, no, 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 no. You cannot have access to that. Um, and and basically they just said no, we'll not give you the data. Um, and and we filed a complaint with the court and we won uh, the trial. Now we are at the appeal level because the government <laughs> insists that it will not give out the the data. Um, 
so that's kind of one of the cases. But this is this is not the first that that we won. Um, in two thousand and six and seven, I was you know a very fresh uh, reporter, and I I, I worked with um, a local NGO, and we won decision uh, in Romania that the government would give us the contracts for the big privatization of companies. So there were like state companies that were um, sold to foreign investors. And that was a big, big deal for, for Romania. So uh, we fought for, for those contracts and uh, they refused and we won in the end the cases. Um, but uh, two years ago, um, a colleague of mine revisited and requested the same kind of data and the same institution who lost the, the trial uh, a decade ago, um, you know, refused again to um, release those documents. So it's it's also about political impact in Romania. Actually, you know, um, politicians are sending that message. Journalists do not have access to data. And that actually started in the pandemic. It was... Um, amped up by the president who signed in legislation to curtail um, access to information. So it was, you know, prolonged the, the um, uh, time that you would, uh, the public institution would reply. Um, some information was uh, not available, but the some of the worst things that happened, you know, also, in this um, in this concern was the fact that um, the Romanian president said, "Oh, um, you know, uh, we can close down websites if we want just by a switch because we think it's uh, fake news." So uh, it was a blunt attack to to the media uh, freedom and also to access to information in the same um, pandemic legislation that they enacted. And this was actually uh, a signal from the president, who then, um, at one point um, this year, threatened the sources of uh, Romanian newspaper, G4 Media. So that was also of uh, public uh, knowledge. <laughs> so the colleagues from that website wrote um, uh, uh, articles, like not even like super big investigation. They published uh, legislation about the Romanian secret service um, that uh, was proposed. And then the, the president came out and said, oh, but I know who are the sources. And... You know, I'm very well informed about your sources. And it's like, how can a president uh, make such statements and be in this uh, threatening position towards uh, a media who inform the public? And can I ask you, um, what is the time frame normally for FOI requests in Romania? How, how long do they have to get back to you normally? Uh, so it's uh, 10, 10 uh, working days. Uh, which is yes, ten working days, but it's 
you know, <laughs> it's just on paper. Uh, rarely, rarely they answer in uh, in 10 days. Um, but then uh, they allowed to go to 30 days, a total of 30 days. Uh, but in practice, what is happening is actually they go, public institution go for 30 days. But at the end of the 30 days, they say, oh, we will not answer. So, <laughs> you know, they just use a month of your research time to say, um, even though in the legislation it's banned because it's the provision is actually if they uh, refuse, they if they want, they know that they will refuse your information, they have to refuse you in five days, actually. But they, they don't do that. They just like ignore it because there is no uh, punishment for that. Nobody will uh, get hurt from a public institution, if they lie on a FOIA, if they don't reply, if they anything. And I'm, I'm curious, what for this most recent investigation that you were working on with the hospitals, did they give you a reason of why they weren't getting back to you and why they were rejecting your request? Did they say it was security or national security? I mean, I don't know how that would work, but... <laughs> no, 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 no. They, they just said... Um, Look, this is, uh, we said publicly what we wanted to, said, to say, uh, and uh, those information do not concern, uh, are not included in the FOIA or something like that, which is, I mean, you know, it was BS, basically. It's it's important, so, you know, so, no, it, it was just the fact that they did not want to respond, so. Yeah, but this data protection act, you know, this notion that you know they're using that, they're weaponizing that against journalists or people who want this access to information. I think it's something as well in Ireland. From my experience of working with the central statistics office here, um, trying to gain a data set, sometimes they won't put it online, and they'll say it's because of data protection or not wanting to reveal the privacy of individuals because they could be so easily identified given the small population of Ireland. So I don't know if that's been your experience, Ken, if, with FOI, that that's been used as a reason not to share information. Yeah, I suppose uh, at the early days of the pandemic, one of the things that we really pushed hard about was that um, the data on uh, COVID cases in Ireland was only being provided on a county-by-county -county basis, which was effectively... Um, of no kind of use in terms of, uh, for, for certainly for the public, in terms of knowing how much infection was in their, in their area. And we kind of pushed hard on that and began to make requests for kind of more granular data. Eventually, the, the government kind of did act on that and they began to post the information based on kind of electoral areas, which at least gives people a sense of, there's a lot of COVID in my community, maybe I should be particularly... Um, kind of observant of public health measures and so on. And as you say, oftentimes we run into this idea of, well, that could identify somebody because if there's only four or five individuals in a town or in a city or whatever, it might um, identify somebody. But I, th I think that can arise in a big country too, because uh, similarly, if there's just five people in a, in a town or a city in, in the UK or Romania, the same kind of problems can arise. One of the difficulties that we've had uh, with regard to the interaction between GDPR and FOI has been kind of uh, like Attila was talking about where 
GDPR has been sort of weaponized to exempt all sorts of material that pre wasn't previously exempted. Um, so we've had a lot of instances where the names of officials, the names of politicians, even in one case, the name of a government minister was redacted from records that were released to us um, because the public bodies had just taken this approach that every single named person in a set of records that name has to be removed because of GDPR. So we've had to kind of, uh, and this is the most frustrating part of FOI in Ireland, is that you have to refight your transparency cases all the time. So it doesn't matter if we win a case today. That doesn't mean that two years from now, public bodies won't be doing the exact same things again. So we've had to kind of refight these cases about personal information. And our information commissioner has been clear especially around the names of people who work in public bodies, that these cannot be redacted. But it does seem like there is a trend here we're seeing worldwide, the distrust in media, the hating on journalists, the killing of journalists openly, and it's almost used as an excuse to not take these requests seriously and almost, or, or just not reply in time, or just use it as an excuse to just not really follow what, what, what they promised to do. Well, it seems to me the most the, the most common issue that across the board is that the person who's kind of tasked with looking after FOI, so in Ireland it's our information commissioner, and whoever has that role um, within in, in each country, they never have enough powers of enforcement, really. So effectively what you have is you have a set of rules. This is how you're supposed to deal with an FOI request. And there's an assumption that public bodies will follow the rules because they're public bodies, because that's what, you know, civil servants are supposed to do. They're supposed to follow rules. But when they break the rules or where they're not interested in the rules, there's no kind of, uh, there's no kind of sanction. There's no kind of enforcement. There's no kind of stick to ensure that they do a better job the next time. And so that's, that's to me is oftentimes where FOI falls down is that it's all based on the principle that public bodies will do their best and they'll do exactly what they're supposed to. But a lot of the time they don't. And, and oftentimes they'll do they'll do the exact opposite of what they're supposed to do. And so that that to me often often is the problem with FOI is that there is no sanction or enforcement around it for kind of a failure to, to deal with it properly. And I wonder, Jenna, what your thoughts are on this from the UK's perspective and from open democracy's perspective. I mean, do there need to be any consequences or, I don't know, public shaming, I guess, as a journalist, you could write, you could turn that into your story, but it doesn't really lead to any change, right? Well, it's it's been a little bit positive recently here in, in the UK because at Open Democracy, we've been, we've been focusing a lot on freedom of information. And we've just had a new uh, commissioner that's taken up um, in, in the Information Commissioner's Office. And to his credit, he has started to use enforcement powers, which uh, the previous um, uh, commissioners just didn't, didn't make use of their enforcement powers. And for the first time in, I think, seven years, the uh, commissioner, John Edwards, he has um, 
you know, reprimanded a, 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 the Department for uh, International Trade, um, I believe, yes, uh, for failing to to respond to requests. So um, sometimes I am quite pessimistic about um, freedom of information on some days, but then I, when you get um, uh, a commissioner trying to, to take action against uh, departments who are regularly breaching the law, um, it, it fills me with, with a, a form of optimism. I think what I'd like to see the the, uh, the uh, information and commissioner using more and more powers, more publicly shaming uh, departments. Well, whether shaming uh, departments would actually work, I don't know. We have had ministers here in the UK trashing uh, freedom of information. We need to reverse that kind of um, culture with, with, within government and and try to change the viewpoint that freedom of information is actually a good thing. Absolutely. And I just wonder if we could turn a little bit more to um, the practicalities of building a data set. Say you are successful in getting your request. How, what's your experience of sort of building a data set and then trying to find a story out of that? Or, or do you, the three of you kind of go in with your request and already know what your story is? Usually we request data for, for stories that we have leads, but we we did so. For example, you need a lot of data on uh, public procurement where you can draw your stories from. Um, now you know. Now we are actually looking into, and we did a lot of research on the um, uh, Europe's resilience fund, which is um, a big uh, pot of money of seven hundred billion uh, euros. So. Uh, that's that's a huge amount of money that we need to look into it, and that's kind of um, the reason that we need a uh, uh, very strong POIA at the European level. Uh, so when authorities, like we we built a, a case on EU funds, and we requested contracts and data on uh, investigations about the EU funds. And what the government decided to do uh, is to, you know, after a long, long battle, to give us um, very badly scanned PDFs that are, that, that, that it's like, I think they consume a lot of time just, just putting the Excel sheets in a position that you cannot OCR them. So that's, that's the level of how these people are thinking, if you can imagine that they they print out the excel sheets then they scan them but they try to position them in 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 such a position that you cannot uh just uh pull out you know like transform them again back into excel sheets uh so what you need to do it's like do it manually or you know try to ocr them and and get the text and build again your database so sometimes it's like I, I think that 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 people, if they would just like not uh, consume so much resources on fighting us, um, maybe uh, you know maybe they would be better off and would not we would not look so hard into those data because when somebody's sending me uh, an uh, scan Excel sheet that is done badly, then I basically, you know, my, my, all my senses are like, okay, these guys have something to hide because 
why would the person do uh, do such a thing? You know. Interesting. Um, Ken, do you have a similar experience or not really? Like, what's what's it like when you're you finally get your request? You're trying to find the story. You're trying to build the data set. Well, one of the one of the the things that was happening in Ireland was exactly that, where people would um, provide um, poorly kind of photocopied um, copies of uh, Excel uh, spreadsheets of. Uh, other records to try and make it very difficult to transform them back into something that was searchable or that could that you could run OCR on. Um, but one of the really positive parts of our FOI Act in 2014 that came in was that you could insist that they would have to provide it in uh, in an Excel or a CSV. They would not be allowed to. Um, they could try. Um, obviously, the old kind of tactic of, of the, the bad photocopy but if you appealed it or if you pushed it they would have to release the, the proper data set to you so that's been really really helpful obviously and um, I suppose I, I have some experience of kind of building kind of bigger data sets um, more so in, in my past career as a reporter when I was with RTE our public service broadcaster we did a lot of work kind of on expenses and uh, various other things kind of through building big data sets through FOI. Um, in Ireland, it's possible to kind of make a lot of the, the same requests to a lot of different public bodies, for instance, to all the local authorities or all the government departments. One of the challenges with FOI is um, when you do it to a large number of organizations is kind of getting any consistency in the information that you get. Because, like I mentioned at the very beginning, one public body is terrific and will do everything they can, and the other will just try and make life as difficult as possible for you. So it, it can be hard to build, if you're dealing with a lot of public bodies, it can be hard to build a kind of a, a consistent data set, because you will probably say if they're in Ireland, there's 31 local authorities. So you might have 25 of them that the data is really clean and it's exactly what you're looking for. And then there might be six of them where the data is incomplete or you're not sure if it's correct or there might be um, accuracy issues or you didn't get everything you looked for. So there are challenges around that. And FOI is kind of, it's not something that you, um, as a journalist, it's not something that you can put your total faith in. You know, it's not a tool that you can say, I am definitely going to get what I need through FOI because that isn't always what happens. And sometimes you'll have to use other means to, to get the information that you need. Yeah, I, I completely echo what, what Ken has just said there. Um, I have had difficulties of uh, accessing, um, uh, well, they, they send you the data in, in PDF, but I think like in Ireland, in the UK, you can explicitly say in your your uh, request that you want the data in, uh, you know, what preferred format you'd like your information in. That can be helpful. Now, whether the authorities actually read your request and and read that you actually want it in an Excel format is is another matter. Um, I um, I have had some experience of of building up data sets. Uh, one um, investigation we published uh, was last December where I asked for how much research funding and donations uh, UK universities had taken from um, oil companies. Uh, that was um, 
it, it, it produced good results. Well, you know, it, 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 we managed to get the data. It was quite successful in that. Um, and, you know, we managed to do some ranking of which university accepted the most. Um, and that that, did, that investigation did quite well. But I would say when, when you're at, uh, for advice for journalists who are, who are um, about to embark on such um, a project, if you are sending the same request to many institutions like universities here in the UK, you've got way over 100. You've really got to get organised. You've got to create that spreadsheet of, um, you know, just, just listing down um, which, uh, uh, when did you send your request to this university? When when are you expecting the results? Um, you really do need to get organised. You need to find, you need to sort of constantly chase up requests when they, um, when you don't get an answer within 20 working days. So I would just be cautious and get really organised. Yeah, I would just say as well, and that's that's something that's that's really important as well, much more so than just with a single FOI request, is that you get the FOI request right the first time. Because sometimes if you make an FOI request just to a single government department and you make a bit of a mess of it, you can kind of fix things um, through the FOI process. But if you're doing a kind of a mass FOI to all the universities like Jenna said or all the the policing services or county councils or whatever and you make a bit of a mess of the original FOI request and it's a little bit unclear you're almost better actually just withdrawing it and, and starting from scratch because it can turn into a, a real headache and I just wonder like what, what are some other pieces of advice you all have for journalists who are kind of new to FOI um, and they're specifically trying to find a particular story and but they're they don't know where to start what do you what where do they go um so i would say my advice is definitely google to see whether the information that you want is already out there because like we've been saying um it can take a long time to process requests so it, you should try to save time by seeing actually is it is it published somewhere um i would also say um, the more research you do before submitting a request, I think the more informed you become, which I think can help you for sure when you are drafting your request. Um, and uh, I would say keep chasing your requests uh, until you get an answer. And don't let the authorities ignore you, make a big song and dance about how, they, you're, how they're just completely ignoring you and complain to, to um, or I can complain to uh, the commissioner uh, the information commissioner, if an authority is taking way longer than they are to, to get back to me. Um, I suppose a couple of things that I would always say as advice to people, especially if they're genuinely just getting started at it, would be to look at FOI logs. So in, in Ireland, um, all the public bodies are have an obligation to publish a list of all the requests that they get and they're supposed to do it every three months so you can look at what people have previously requested you can see what's been refused and what's been granted or what's been kind of partially um, granted and um, it can give you ideas because obviously some certain types of FOI work over and over again and it can be no harm to kind of do kind of simple FOIs that you know that are going to generate a story just to get yourself kind of into that mindset of um of of of, of foi um, i think it's important as well that certainly if people are kind of going to be trying to generate stories through foi they have to understand that it's never going to be one foi equals one story 
you know, it's much more likely to be five FOIs equals one story. So it's not something that you're going to be 100% successful at, even after years and years of doing it, you're not going to be 100% successful. And I suppose then just to actually read the decisions and read the legislation, in particular the Irish FOI Act, it's not, it's not particularly long and it's not particularly complicated, but I see a lot of journalists complaining about not getting access to records and i can see very quickly that actually the decisions were correct you know so they're given out about a government department for not giving them x and y but you cannot expect a civil servant to to give you records that are exempt under the foi act and people need to at some point familiarize themselves with the law it's one of only kind of a couple of pieces of law that journalists really have to get um au fait with you know aside from the defamation and contempt um laws you know fy it's it, i i i do think there there's room for journalists to to kind of learn a little bit more about it to educate themselves to take appeals and to kind of get into the nitty gritty of it and i because i think if you don't if you don't get stuck into it you're not really going to get very good results out of it and of course, the right to know organization in Ireland and the guide you wrote, Ken, is a really good starting place, I think, uh, on your website, um, giving people an, a taster into, okay, wh what do you need to know and understand about this? And yeah, it's very specific. <laughs> um, Attila? I, I would just like, I mean, my mindset is to try to combat the negative responses from uh, from the government. So in my mind, when, when I'm sending an F a request, uh, I'm thinking, oh, how can I put in the request, uh, you know, uh, either legislation references, either court case uh, references, either previous answers that they sent me or others. Uh, so, they could not find a loophole to not respond. So from the start, I'm trying to make their life very hard to not give me the information. So, and that's that's also, you know, as I said, read the law, um, read, uh, do, do your research and find out what they did in the past. Um, and that's that's kind of how we perceive it. And well, you know, uh, if you are going for a big story, uh, think of the fact that you will need to uh, start a trial, start the lawsuits against the government. So I'm going sometimes with that mindset in that they will say no, and it's like this dance, and in the end, I'll, you know, have to wait it out and uh, out, outsmart them, because it's a, it's a battle, basically. And I wonder, one thing we didn't touch on is financially, what what does this look like when you're requesting FOIs in the UK, Romania, and Ireland? Like, is it free? Do you need to pay for it? And also the legal battles too, financially. What what are journalists who are new to this maybe up against? <laughs> in the UK, it's, it's free to send uh, freedom of information requests. Um, and, uh, you know, but when you... Um, Sometimes you'd have to go to court to to argue um, for for your case. Now, what is good about the UK that if you lose, you don't have to pay the other 
other side's costs, which is great. Um, but it's I think it's always worth seeking out some lawyers uh, that can can certainly help you because it can be a bit of a minefield, um, especially when you go to a tribunal. Um, you know, we we have had help from from some some fantastic lawyers um, who have very much helped us with our cases. Um, but it's the cost that is not so much a, a worry for me. It's just the length of time that it can take. So we did um, uh, an investigation quite recently into something called the Clearing House, um, which is uh, a secretive unit within uh, the government. So when uh, Freedom of Information requests are sent by journalists and campaigners, those requests were sent to this unit and they would monitor such requests, which is quite bad. And I sent in a Freedom of Information request to find out more information about this unit. I sent that Freedom of Information request in 2018. I didn't get to, the, to a tribunal until 2021. So that's three years. Uh, we're trying to expose um, uh, what is happening with this, this clearing house. Um, you know, there was there was fears about whether there was sort of blacklisting going on uh, for three years. We had to battle it again to get that. Um, I mean, it didn't cost us money, but that length of time was was absolutely ridiculous. OK, granted, you know, we we won in the end and we created lots of, you know, some dance about that. And our legal victory ended up sparking a parliamentary inquiry. But I'm not so much worried about the cost. It's the time and the delay with freedom of information here in the UK. Fascinating. Ken? I suppose when money comes into play is when you want to appeal cases and also if you look for a large number of records. So anything over kind of what is um, calculated as five hours of search and retrieval, you have to pay fees. So it would be 20 euro per hour. So anything over that, over 100 euro effectively. And um, one of the, I suppose the biggest issue we have around costs and FOI here is that to an extent, our information commissioner ends up being the last word. And um, we can appeal to the High Court, but there's no um, cost protection in it. And for a very small um, not-for-profit like ours, even a single visit to the High Court to fight an FOI case would probably put us out of business. So we haven't been able to take any um, cases under FOI so far. We have been more focused in terms of uh, in, in litigation on access to information on the environment because uh, because it's it's EU law. There are protections built into it so that you know citizens and not for profits and NGOs can actually take legal cases without it kind of being an existential threat. Um, but unfortunately, there's nothing uh, in FOI that really allows anybody except somebody with very deep pockets to go to court. And we've had precious few over the 25 years or so of FOI here, where FOI cases have actually gone to the high court. Usually it's where a public body is fighting disclosure of records. Those are the ones that end up actually in court rather than a citizen or a, a newspaper or an NGO fighting for access to records. And uh, Attila, what about Romania? Well, um, you know, to to go to court is free, um, so you don't you don't have to pay taxes. Um, the 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 law provides access to information and documents for free, but 
<laughs> my experience is that actually public institution would rather sell you the records uh, than um, give them to you on uh, on on the usual uh, request for on FOIA. So um, what is happening is that if you need um land uh, titles like uh, company records uh records from the court you can more easily get them in bulk if you just say okay i'm gonna i'm gonna pay it and whatever needs to be paid i'm gonna pay it but th that's that's the thing that uh in some cases you'll uh you'll pay maybe you know up to probably 10 cents euro cents per uh, page but when you have thousands and thousands sometimes you can have uh, you know 20 30 thousand pages then you start to amount to hundreds and thousands of euro for records which you pay to the state but in the legislation he said if you're a, a journalist you should have those records for free but if you request them for free, they, you know, curtail and, and try to stop you. So that's kind of uh, <laughs> the funny thing that you can buy the documents. Absolutely. Well, I'm afraid we've come to an end with our conversations with Data Podcast today. But um, thank you all for, for your time. And uh, this was absolutely fascinating hearing uh, how things are evolving or eroding across Europe uh, when it comes to freedom of information. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you a lot. A big thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in today. Want to hear more interesting discussions on data journalism? You can subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. You can also get the podcast straight to your inbox by subscribing to our newsletter at datajournalism.com slash subscribe. Conversations with Data podcast is an initiative by datajournalism.com powered by the European Journalism Center and supported by Google News Initiative. That's all for now. See you next time.